Hey, it's Nikki Llewellyn and you're on Gut Plus Science. This podcast is on a mission to increase engagement at work. And on this show, we equip CEOs and people first leaders of all levels to make impact. Let's get to it. Hey, it's Nikki back with another incredible people first leader in healthcare to inspire us all to up our game, recommitting to excellence in our leadership journey. It's an everyday choice and great leaders like this one will inspire our choice today. I'm joined by Dr. Scott Rissmiller, Executive Vice President and Chief Physician Executive for Atrium Health. Atrium Health is an integrated nonprofit health system with more than 70,000 teammates serving patients at 42 hospitals, and more than 1,500 care locations. Scott is passionate about people and culture and shares some stories and learnings to help us further our journey of intentional leadership. Let's get to it. Dr. Riss Miller, welcome to Gut Plus Science. We're so excited to have you with us today. So let's start here. In regards to kicking off the new year, share how your experiences and learnings of 2020 shaped your strategy and focus for 2021. Wow, what a year, right? It shaped our uh, strategy for 2021 in a huge way. You know, the silver lining of uh, the pandemic and of uh, 2020 was the fact that it really accelerated innovation uh, within our teams and within our healthcare system and really strengthened our teams, brought clarity to our priorities and, and, and really pushed us to do things very quickly that we had been talking about or focusing on for the several years prior. So as we came through the initial wave of the pandemic, which, you know, around July or so, we started to breathe a little bit of a sigh of relief that the volumes were trending down and we could sort of catch our breath. Our strategy team and our clinical teams really came together and said, there has been so much innovation and so much great work. We have to quickly capture all of that and then put it into a sort of coherent uh, strategic plan going forward so we don't lose some of the magic that we had through those uh, couple months of just running really fast to care for our patients. So our, our we called it rise and reshape uh, was um, the process that we went through with our strategy team and with our, with our clinical team. And the rise part was really focusing on first making sure our teammates um, were doing okay. And I'm really proud that our organization was one of the ones that did not furlough anyone or cut pay. Uh, and it, it really um, was something that we were proud of as an organization to keep our uh, teammates whole through the worst of the pandemic. So we really wanted to make sure we were caring for our patients. And that earned, I think, a lot of uh, credit and a lot of trust from our teammates that is paying off, frankly, now. The second part of the rise really is uh, in achieving sort of pre-COVID, if you will, plus uh, performance, not just financially, but also from a volume standpoint. There was a lot of care that during that period of time when we were uh, limiting the amount of our elective procedures that went unmet. So we had people who were in need of their screening tests, their colonoscopies, their mammograms, their elective surgeries now are not quite so elective because they had to have been put on hold. So it was really about getting our operations back up and running to sort of pre-COVID plus uh, performance, if you will. The reshape portion then uh, is the really uh, fun and exciting piece. That was really about taking all the incredible innovation innovation that we had done over the past uh, several months 
making it the new standard of care, if you will. So um, it was about creating this better system of care, focusing on things like virtual care. And we can talk about that. We developed a virtual hospital at home, which is amazing. Um, and also virtual visits um, that allowed us to really improve the show rates for our, uh, our patients and primarily our underserved populations. Um, the reshape was focused on advancing our premier learning organization. During this time, we are also um, in the final stages of combining with Wake Forest Baptist Health um, in Winston-Salem, who is, who is a very prestigious academic health system. And fortunately, we were able to finalize that partnership in uh, around October. So they really ha are complementing our already existing academic and learning organization and helping us to really accelerate in that area. So we wanted to make sure that that was part of our reshape culture. Then, you know, we are a large healthcare system. And sometimes when you're large, you suffer from uh, struggling to move fast. And we really demonstrated during those months, the March, April, May, if you will, of the pandemic, that we could move really fast and way faster than we could have imagined beforehand. So we wanted to capture the things that allowed us to move fast. And a lot of it was around direct communication and um, avoiding things like email uh, and uh, trails and those kind of things that can slow us down. And really having that direct conversation, getting to the meat of the issue, making decisions and moving along quickly, which has really um, helped us as an organization move quick to meet the needs of our patients. And then the last piece is really focusing on scale. We're a large organization, uh, and we're looking to partner with other healthcare systems and providers who are like-minded with our mission of caring for all and really providing high-quality care to our, our patients. And then finally, we have a real passion around equity of care. So we wanted to make sure that everything we did closed any uh, care gaps between our underserved populations and um, everyone else. And that's a, the core of what we do in every one of our strategies going forward is really focusing on closing those inequities of care. So that's uh, that's a little bit of what I would say of what 2020 taught us. Um, it's the silver lining that comes out of the pandemic, and it really has set us up in a much better position for 2021 to be able to uh, meet the needs of our patients in this rapidly changing uh, healthcare environment. Wow, what a great way to kick off our conversation. We have so much to dive into, and I just want to say a couple of comments. I love the name of your theme for your strategy and really embracing and finding that silver lining, rise and reshape. It's just so uplifting, and um, I think there's a lot to that, just how you named it. And I love the innovation piece because you started to hint about that, so we're going to dig into that a little bit more. And I just want to recognize, you know, Atrium is regularly talked about as just a great workplace and a great system. And we're going to get to like what you think makes that stand out. But I just want to recognize again, the huge accomplishment and keeping all of your team members and, and keeping them whole, as you said, that's just, it's incredible. That's a huge accomplishment. So we, we are starting out on a very high note. We're going to keep it there. <laughs> so I know you're really passionate about workplace culture, particularly building team culture. So let's brag on your team for a minute and talk innovation. So what team accomplishments or key innovations hit the top of the list from last year? So I'm going to go straight to our Atrium Health Hospital at home because I think that is uh, such a, a great example of the culture at our organization and, and how we can operationalize ideas quickly and then scale. 
So this was something that we had thought about in-home care and caring for patients in home uh, that uh, might otherwise need to be in our hospital for, for a good while. The industry's been talking about it for a long time, but we, pretty much everyone else, really struggled to operationalize it early on. And then along comes you know uh, COVID and we are having to create capacity in our hospitals of magnitude we had never seen before. So we were talking about building field hospitals and all the other things that other health systems across the country were talking about and doing. And a couple of our clinicians, frontline primary care doctors and hospital-based doctors, hospitalists, got together and said, what if we set up this hospital at home where we could take patients who would otherwise be in our hospital and care for them in the comfort of their home. It accomplishes several things. Um, first, people would much rather be at home than be in, our, in the hospital, no matter how well uh, functioning that hospital is. And, and we're really proud of the experience our hospitals and our teams give to patients, but people would rather be at home. The second thing, early on, we were there was a severe PPE shortage. And we were able to really conserve our PPE because we were caring for these patients virtually in their home for the most part. So we weren't having to gown up every time we interacted with them. So that was another big piece there as well. So it went from concept. And I mean, when I say concept, I mean from nothing, really from scratch, an idea to operationalizing and enrolling our first patients in under three weeks. And it was amazing. So it was a collaboration between all parts of our organization. Um, talk about a silo buster. There was no silos uh, in doing this work. We had IT there. We had nursing there. We had administration there. We had our uh, partnerships with our community paramedicine and other people. Um, and we were able to very quickly set up this hospital at home where if you develop COVID or other issues, you would be cared for at home and you would uh, have home devices that would check your blood pressure, your oxygen level, and your pulse. And that would be uploaded automatically through an app on your phone directly to your electronic medical record that's integrated into your care. And we had nurses and physicians who were monitoring you constantly throughout the day, checking in on you. And if we needed to go into your home, we would uh, send in uh, our community paramedicine team, and they were able to give IV fluids, IV antibiotics, do EKGs, other kind of tests. And we were one of the very first healthcare systems uh, in, in the country to be able to go and give IV medication to actually treat COVID. Um, we were one of the first approved for that. Uh, so really excited about that. So here's, here's what uh, really puts it into perspective. So since we opened in March, our virtual hospital, Atrium Hospital at Home, has treated over 50,000 patients. These are patients that otherwise many uh, would have been in our hospitals. Uh, and now we're taking those learnings and we're expanding it beyond COVID. We're, uh, uh, our heart and vascular, Sanger Heart and Vascular team is doing it for patients with heart failure. We're identifying all those diagnoses that could either be discharged early from the hospital and cared for at a hospital at home or patients that may not even need to go into the hospital um, with this new modality of the atrium hospital at home and really looking to scale it even more so that we can continue to uh, keep people home and also care for patients in a way that they they want to receive. And, and it really hits home when it's one of your teammates. So one of our administrators who I work with very closely developed COVID 
and she got pretty darn sick. And um, uh, she had knew about our hospital home, heard about our hospital at home. We enrolled her in it automatically. And over the next several days, she actually started to decline in her um, uh, clinical status and thought she needed to go to the hospital. Our team was uh, able to wrap her, we call it wrap her in love, um, and went into her home, was able to give IV fluids, other medications, monitor uh, extremely closely. And we were able to get her through a very scary time for her at home. And she came out of it as our absolute biggest fan. And it's incredible to be able to care for uh, populations, but it just drives it home when there's a face on it that you interact with every day who you uh, care for uh, that sees the effect of sort of this innovation that our team created um, in very, very short time. So those are the stories that really sort of keep us going around that. If I could just hit a couple others just real quick. We, uh, with, you know, early on, if you remember, masks are everywhere now, but early on there was a shortage of masks as well, especially in our underserved areas. So we had, uh, uh, created a million mask initiative, partnering with uh, some private uh, companies and really, and business leaders in our area and focus on getting a million masks into our underserved communities. We blew it out of the water and ended up to date, we have distributed uh, 2.3 million free masks to our underserved patients, which I just can't imagine how many patients that has kept healthy and kept out of our hospital. And during all of this, we also combined forces with Wake Forest Baptist and huge integration work there. And we're in the process of combining their learning organization with ours and their expertise and we're uh, creating a the first uh, medical school in Charlotte, North Carolina. We're the sh largest metropolitan area that does not have a dedicated medical school, and we're doing it different. We're not just going to train our next wave of clinicians, but we're going to make this the Silicon Valley of the East Coast for healthcare innovation, bringing in uh, scientists, investors, and other businesses outside of healthcare to really focus on advancing care and with uh, Wake Forest Baptist at the core of it. So that was uh, that's that's a few things that we're just so excited about. We were also the first hospital in North Carolina to receive the vaccine. And uh, Dr. Uh, Katie Passaretti, who uh, has become a national phenomenon through all of this, and rightfully so, because she is brilliant and a great person. She's the leader of our uh, infectious disease and epidemiology and has been at the tip of the spear, if you will, uh, in our COVID response. Um, was the first person to receive the vaccination in the state. And then finally, we have uh, really innovated with our mobile units going into our underserved areas and not only doing testing for COVID in these underserved areas, but also now bringing vaccines to really focus on that disparity of care. So that sounds like a lot. It's just sort of uh, the highlight reel, if you will, and the number of stories that have come out of this um, of patients and, and our communities that have been helped by this innovation is just mind boggling and so uh, encouraging. And again, there's been so much struggle um, from this pandemic um, and it's well known and it's well documented, but there has been so much good that has come as a result of responding to it. And I just could not be more proud of our teams in regards to how they responded. And that starts with culture. Uh, going into this. And that's an area where I'd, I'd love to talk a little bit more. Um, we could not have done this if we at Atrium Health did not have a strong culture going into it. 
Wow. So the word that keeps coming to mind alongside your organization is overcomer, like overcomer. That is incredible. So let's dig in on the wins just a bit. I got a couple of questions I think will be really helpful and it'll go in that uh, towards the culture piece that you just mentioned. So what leadership best practice was at the foundation to allow innovation to adopt so quickly to serve patients at home, do you think? What I would just say in general to that question is it it, it is a cultural thing. And when our CEO, Gene Woods, came here, we've historically been a, I believe, a great organization. I've been here 23 years. He came with new eyes and a new approach and immediately set uh, set the, the tone for the culture that we were going to become. And that was one that broke down silos within our organization, focused around the patient even more than we had prior and executed and moved fast because we have so many people counting on us. So that culture work that he insisted upon early on really led us to be able to have an organization that can move fast. On the physician and clinician side, um, when I uh, got in my role as chief physician executive two years ago, I went to uh, Gene and I said, we have a uh, statement that we want to be the absolute first and best place for patients to receive care. I told him uh, with the uh, all we know about physician burnout, I want to state a goal just as loudly that we want to be the absolute best place for a physician to care for patients. And that launched a whole initiative two years ago, really focusing on caring for our physicians and our uh, APPs and breaking down the things that get in the way of why they went into medicine, which is to care for patients and to have that relationship and connection with patients. So we broke it down into several different areas, first being workflow. There is so much that is put on top of our physicians these days that if you are if you focus on the workflow and making sure that the right task gets in the hands of the right individual, you can do it well and, un, and unload them to be able to care for the patient, but that takes focus. So that was one area. The second was really take uh, improving our EMR and, and getting digital tools to the bedside, if you will, for our clinicians to make their lives easier rather uh, than them sort of being data analysts but or uh, entry people, but getting back to connecting with their patients. And then the final thing was really building community. You know, we, we are a large healthcare system. And over the years, you know, that sense of community that we used to have, not just us, but across the nation in healthcare, the community that we used to have amongst physicians and that has sort of broken down. So we really purposefully focused on building that community, having get-togethers, getting people together, and reminding them of why they went into healthcare and uh, what great partners they have. And the final piece of that was just relentless communication. And that's that, to me, I think is is one of the secret sauces to the culture that we have built. We put in place a communication strategy that uh, was consistent, multimodal, and was honest, real, and transparent, which has been uh, built a lot of trust, has um, filled any communication voids uh, that may be out there, and is bi-directional. And we've made it safe for people to raise their hand, disagree, give input and feedback. And that work started two years ago. So our culture had significantly improved. Um, in one year, our clinical engagement scores of our physicians by Press Ganey went from the 50th percentile to the 75th, uh, just with initiating this strategy. And it was at that peak that we hit the pandemic. And it was, I believe, that culture that we had put in place and worked so hard on 
that allowed our teams to come together rather than to fragment and then focus on the patient and really work together, whether it be administration or IT or our clinicians or what have you, to work fast and to get things done. And there was that trust there that we were going to do everything we could to take care of them and to take care of our patients at the end of the day. Um, so that was, I think, is the the, the secret sauce um, around that. And I'm also a big believer, as is our CEO, Gene, was of delegated authority. I view my job and as setting sort of the uh, direction, putting up uh, some wide guardrails, and then getting out of the way to let our leaders lead and to make decisions. And sometimes they're going to make mistakes. That's okay. Learn from it, move on, dust off, and let's get back at it. And that's really unleashed the incredible talent we have across our organization to be able to innovate and create new ideas, fail fast and learn from it, and then move on and find those successes like the Atrium Health Hospital at home. So again, I threw a lot out there. I know this is where I get passionate and I get really excited, but these type of things don't happen by accident. You have to be intentional about it. And I am a true believer that if you care for uh, those who are caring for your patients, then they are going to better care for our patients and also come together at times of need for our community and for atrium health at large. It's also interconnected for sure. I'm sure that your head start on communication and that new strategy really helped this, but talk about how you had to pivot and what you've learned quickly in supporting the remote workforce and keeping their sense of culture strong. It's really hard. And I'm somebody I sort of um, get my energy from uh, seeing people and interacting with people. So it's been hard on me as well. I think all of us have struggled with this remote world we're in. But, you know, we had the communication piece in place. Um, And uh, so that uh, our communication piece, we get sent out daily newsletters that really have served us well through COVID because things have moved so fast. So every single day, our teammates get uh, a, a daily fact sheet with all of the new developments of what's going on in regards to our COVID response and other things. So they have the information. We, uh, I do a weekly, just 30 minute call with thousands of people who are on it on my team, where I share with them what I'm focused on, what my concerns are. I don't prepare for it much on purpose because I want it to, to be real. I want it to be transparent. And the interesting thing is, you know, rounding is a big thing and we're back out getting rounding on our teams, especially in our hospitals and that. But when I ask our clinicians, hey, tell me where you want me to go, uh, where it would help for me to go and round on them. The response I get is because of the communication we have in place and because of my weekly calls and all those things, they feel like they see me every single day and every single week. So that disconnect isn't as much as it would have been if we hadn't already had that in place. We also have a great culture on our team where we we check on each other. We look out for each other. If one of us uh, in a meeting looks like, at least virtually, that we may be down or struggling, another teammate is reaching out to see um, how can we help. It, it, it is a great culture. And, um, and for an organization as large as ours, it's pretty remarkable. But it didn't happen by accident. This was what Gene Woods insisted on when we got here and uh, really been proud to be part of that and help to execute upon it. So considering social distancing practices and knowing that teamwork is an atrium core value, give an example of how you're influencing human connection for team members different than before. (laughs) We're doing lots of, you know, it's kind of funny. We went through the holidays 
And normally we would have a holiday party and, and different kind of things. And people really look forward to those. Um, and we, we were thinking, how are we going to do this? We got to do something. So um, we said, well, let's do a virtual holiday party. And I'm thinking, this isn't going to work. This is going to be so awkward. Um, everybody on the video screen, right? And everything else. And they were amazing. Um, they turned out to be so much fun. We would have dozens of people on the virtual call. And then we'd break out into small groups of four or five just to talk, get to know each other, catch up on non-work kind of stuff, come back together. It was really amazing. Um, and I think for a couple of reasons, one, it was genuine and real. And two, people are so hungry for that sort of interaction because it's lacking right now. So I think creative things like that are really important. The other thing I'll say, though, there was a lot going on last year, not just uh, in relationship to COVID. We had a lot of racial tensions and a lot of things were highlighted throughout the, the summer and fall that caused um, a lot of concern in our communities uh, for obvious and real reasons. So we took that head on. And Gene Woods, from the moment it started, uh, gave uh, us the directive. I want you to lean in. I want you to have real conversations with your team around that. So on the clinical side, we set up a series of conversations with our African-American physicians and APPs and caregivers. And we were real. And uh, we had a, a panel of leaders on it. And we just said, tell us what you see. Tell us what you feel. Tell us how we can help. And it was it was raw and it was real. And real change has come out of that. And we have a lot more to do. Um, but it really, again, built those connections and trust at a time when there was real risk of, of fragmentation, if you will, between um, some of our, 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 our the people who are part of our organization. So between the strategy that you put together in advance of the pandemic coming to us, and then the learnings that you were learning on the fly with regards to communication, what would you like to share? Our listeners are struggling with that. We're constantly getting feedback, like tell us more about how, what are the key things we can do to communicate, especially with the remote dispersed workforce? Maybe give us the top, you know, the top couple that you think that you could inspire our, our listeners just to think about, here's what I would do from a leadership level to get better at this and how to solve that. Over-communicate. You cannot over-communicate. So when you think you're over-communicating, do it more and do it multimodal, um, you know, uh, whether it be virtual or emails or other things, make sure that, but make sure it's consistent, make sure it's frequent. Um, and the other thing I would say is when we're in person, we can read body language better and we can see people's expressions and those type of things. You miss that in virtual calls a bit. So you really have to double down on being real and really demonstrating and showing that you care. And so we have really focused on making sure in our meetings and that, that we are checking in on each other. We're asking those sensitive questions um, or emotional questions that might connect uh, in different ways with people and really focusing on giving that encouragement and positive feedback because people are isolated. They want to do really good uh, work, but they don't have the interaction that they normally have that gives them that reward, you know, that they did something well. So really doubling down on the positive feedback and encouragement, but also really making, putting in place the mechanisms to be able to 
help those who are really, really struggling. And we have those in place. We have uh, through our uh, behavioral health psychiatry department, we have an employee outreach program, assistance program that through COVID and continuing today is about at 150% of pre-COVID volumes. And it just speaks to the number of people that are struggling. It's a great service. We've made it very accessible and we've broken down any kind of stigma around it. And they're really, really helping people. But I would say it's, it's about trust. You, you build trust by being transparent, by making it safe to give feedback and to disagree, overemphasize uh, the consistency and the frequency, overemphasize how you show up. Because as leaders, people are looking to us to see how they should feel. And if we're showing up and we're not looking at the camera or we're uh, not smiling, they're going to feed off that. And that may be the only cue they get that day in regards to how things are going. So it's it's even more important today for leaders to show up with energy and positive energy and optimism while we tackle these, uh, these uh, tough problems and be real, just like with our courageous conversations. Don't shy away from the things that might be a bit uncomfortable um, because, again, in this time of virtual, it, it's easy to just stay at the surface level, dig deep, make it consistent and, and build people up and then connect back to why we went into this to begin with. Gene, when he first came here, brought a practice that is just incredible, which is called Connect to Purpose, where we start every meeting, and I mean every meeting, with a patient story that of how we have uh, delivered incredible care of what we meant to that patient. And so it, it really sort of sets the tone and recenters us to why we're here. So I just jotted down so many notes and just a couple of them that kind of hit the side of my paper all came together. And I'm like, if we just did this right here, shared stories of impact, like 30 seconds, one minute, show up with energy. Like what's the one thing I can do on this call, on this video screen or in person, if we are to bring more energy as a leader, just being intentional. And then what can I do to connect human to human, to have a real interaction? Just, just those that are on the side of my notes right here, just such a significant impact that can be made there. So those, those simple yet profound things are just, they're so important. Thank you for sharing that. The time is flying by. So I want to recognize Atrium Health because you know, you've shared just incredible things that you all have accomplished in the past year, let alone your entire history. You guys are continually recognized for world-class work. From your, your angle, what makes Atrium stand out? What is at the top of the list? For me, it's our mission, which is our, our commitment to caring for all. It's in our mission statement. We are here to care for all in our communities, regardless of your ability to pay or show up. And not only are we will we care for you if you show up, but we proactively create our strategies to go find you and help you in our communities. It, it, it is at the heart of what we do, and it is uh, our DNA of caring for all. And, and at this time, that is incredibly important. We are also our world-class services, you know, our cancer services, our heart and vascular, um, our children's, you know, our rehab, others are recognized by all the top um, awards, you know, U.S. News and World Report and others as excellence. And they are incredible. But really what makes them excellent is each one of the incredible caregivers and teammates that we have. You know, so in my mind, what makes us world-class is yes, we have some of the absolute best physicians in the world, experts in their field who deliver 
world-class clinical care, but we also um, have under that a caring attitude. Our patient experience scores are at close to right now the 98th percentile compared to our peers across our ambulatory footprint. It just speaks to our heart and how we care for patients. So it's not only the incredible expertise that you're going to get, but you're truly going to get cared for through your experience of being cared at Atrium Health. So that's world-class. We have the best doctors in the world, the best programs in the world, but we also have the best heart underlying that, I believe. I'm a little bit biased, I know, and I'm proud of it, but we have the best people truly caring for our patients. That's profound. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. So Dr. Rosemiller, here's my final question, uh, talking business anyway, and then we're going to get to know you for just a minute before we wrap up. What individual contribution are you most proud of yourself over the past year? We already hit it. Um, it it's, it's the culture that we, and I, I won't even say that I'm proud because I didn't do it. Um, I have just an incredible team. We're all in and we have transformed the culture at our organization with our clinicians um, to the point to where they trust us, they believe in us, they push us, and uh, they feel safe in doing so. And we have unleashed their expertise. I believe we got a lot more to do. So don't get me wrong, a lot more to do. That's why I'm still here and still got a job, I hope. But um, we have uh, unleashed them to lead. And that is an amazing feat to see. And uh, it really speaks well for our future. So I'll just throw this out there. We are struggling like everyone a bit with staffing and those type things for our vaccination sites at the same time that we uh, have record volumes in our hospitals and it's the same teammates. uh, So we're spread thin. So to really uh, mass vaccinate our communities, we need people. So we sent out an email to our physicians and APPs, the same ones who are caring for our patients in the hospital who are stretched so thin asking if anybody would be willing to volunteer on a weekend or night. Within three days, we got over a thousand physician and APPs who said, sign me up anywhere, anytime that I'm not working, I will be there. And that to me is what this is all about. And if we have a culture like that in our organization, we are gonna, our community is gonna benefit from it and we're gonna be successful in caring for patients. So that that to me is um, what I'm most proud of, that we have an organization and a culture where people are that committed to our communities and to the organization that they will not only stretch themselves caring for patients in the hospital, but will even go above and beyond and volunteer their time at something like on a weekend to vaccinate our communities. That's special. And it sounds like a very rare place to be able to have the opportunity to be part of and a mission that's just really incredible. So we're going to take just a quick break really quick. Um, We're going to come back after we hear our sponsor message and just ask you a couple of questions in what we call our lightning round. So we'll be right back. Attention healthcare leaders. Have you heard of Wambi, our show sponsor? Wambi's holistic real-time recognition and culture transformation solution improves the healthcare experience for patients and staff through the power of gratitude. Its gamified technology delivers real-time feedback from patients and other team members that recognizes, rewards, and motivates optimal care. To learn how Wambi can be an early indicator for predictive changes in HCAPs, check out their recent success story with Upper Chesapeake Health, their case study just released, and it's in the show notes. 
All right, we're back on Gut Plus Science Healthcare with Dr. Scott Rissmiller, and we always end our show with what we call our lightning round to learn just a couple of things um, about our guests as humans and what they like to do and just a little bit more about them that may inspire us uh, with their answers. So my first question, this is always a tough one for people, is what is your favorite book of all time, or you could pick a favorite recent read? I'm going to twist a little bit. I'm going to go with my two favorite authors right now that are recent in leadership. Uh, the first is Ryan Holiday. Um, he wrote a book called The Obstacle is the Way. And I would strongly recommend anybody who's leading other people or just anybody in general to get that book and read it. It is an amazing book. The other author is a person called Mark Devine. He is a former Navy SEAL who has now started a, a company focusing on um, applying the mental techniques that he, that the Navy SEALs are, are taught to really um, excel in difficult and sort of VUCA environments where things are rapid, rapidly changing. So he has a book called Unbeatable Mind and Staring Down the Wolf, which are excellent reads. So Mark Devine and Ryan Holiday are my two favorite authors right now and are incredible reads. What is your favorite hobby when you're not working? So I play football at the University of Georgia, so I am a diehard University of Georgia fan. It's watching football, and, and I have a 16- and 18-year-old kids who are uh, right there with me and who love it. So spending time with them is watching Georgia football. And then my son and I love to fish, so that's how he and I connect. So fishing and, and rooting for my good old Georgia Bulldogs. And where is your favorite vacation spot? Folly Beach, South Carolina. That's where we go to fish. And finally, Dr. Riss Miller, how can listeners connect with you after the show today? The best place is just on LinkedIn. So just search my name, Scott Riss Miller, um, and, and you'll pop up. But that's I'm active on LinkedIn, and uh, that's a great way for people to connect. All right, great episode today. Here's my truth you can act on from my talk with Dr. Scott Riss Miller. Number one, fail fast. Try things and learn from them quickly. Embrace the failure as an opportunity to grow and pivot quickly. Number two, intentional leadership, period. As a leader, we need to look at ourselves, reflect on our actions and behaviors every day, and design our leadership efforts every day to make the most impact on our people. The energy you bring has a quick ripple effect. Remember remember that. Number three, communicate exclamation point, over communicate, exclamation point, share real and transparent information a lot. Never take communication off the priority list in your pursuit of leadership excellence. And number four, share stories of impact often. Real, authentic stories resonate and inspire people. Share them often. We'll see you next time. We just left the world a little bit better. Now go do something with it.